My name is Kelsey. I am going to be reading Joshua 19, verses 49 through 51. When they had finished distributing the several territories of the land as inheritances, the people of Israel gave an inheritance among them to Joshua, the son of Nun. By command of the Lord, they gave him the city that he asked, Timnath, Sarah, in the hill country of Ephraim, and he rebuilt the city and settled in it. These are the inheritances that Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the heads of the father's houses of the tribes of the people of Israel distributed by lot at Shiloh before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. So they finished dividing the land. This is the word of God. Thank you, God. All right, you guys can take a seat. Kids, thanks for joining us. Um... Well, good morning. My name is Ryan. If I haven't got to meet you, um, I'm one of the pastors here. You, earlier, you got to meet Brian. I'm doing better about introducing myself. I feel like Brian just nails it every time. And so sometimes when we meet people that have met Brian before, they're like, and which one are you again? Um, so it's, we didn't do that on purpose. That's Brian. I'm Ryan. Settled. It'll never be settled. <laughs> um, but I just want to, to start off with a quick reminder and maybe some new information for some people. So in August, we celebrated our first birthday as a church. Um, yeah, that is, that is something to celebrate. Uh, and we're really grateful that, that we, we got to spend a year together growing and learning together. Um, but it's important for us after that year to keep in mind that we're still a very new church. It's important for me to remember that because uh, I feel anxious about all the things that, I, that we should be doing. Um, I had to be reminded that churches don't get shipped on Amazon Prime, and if you microwave a church plant, it'll melt. So we're, we're just gonna, we're gonna slow cook this thing. I had a whole analogy about brisket. We're not gonna go there because I need your attention, not on lunch. So we're gonna stay uh, in, in scripture, but... Um, I, if I were willing to guess, I would say all of you. If I'm going to hedge my guess, I'm going to say almost all of you are probably coming from a context of an established church. That means this church has been around for years, probably decades. That means that this church has programs, has systems, has rhythms, has a, an established culture. This is something, stuff we just don't have yet. We're brand new. To when I start feeling like, man, we've been here a year. A lot of times, Brian and Kelsey and my wife have to just say, hey, hold on. We've only been here a year. A year is not very long when we're talking about the life of a church. And so, um, like a lot of living things uh, in their first year, we're, we're going we're gonna to stumble we're probably going to fall sometimes without explanation. Um, we're we're going to need some more time to grow. We're going to need some more time to learn. And so I say all this, um, one, because it's a helpful reminder. It's, a, it's helpful just to, to be made aware of that if you're brand new. But for those of us who have been here for the whole year, it's helpful just to remember 
Um, the other reason is that some of us have needs that can't be met at a church plant. And that makes me sad. That makes me sad that the pace that we're called to move at is too slow for many people. But it's okay. It's okay if, at least for now, Redeemer is not where God is calling you to. The point is, whether it's Redeemer, whether um, it's somewhere else, the church is our home. I don't mean the building. I don't mean whatever name you wear on the back of your shirt or on a sticker on your car. I mean the church, the people of God, is our home. It's where God has chosen to make his presence dwell. And so um, if Redeemer is where the Lord is, is uh, moving you to, to call this home, we'll rejoice with that. But if he's calling you to go somewhere else, and we, wanna, we want to, to send you in peace, and we want to help you find a place that can meet your needs. Um, because it, it's a reality, and it's okay that church plants just can't meet everyone's needs. I have to remind myself of that. And sometimes I take it too personal when I have to remind myself of that. Like, I'm not good enough. I'm not sufficient. And that's just not true. And so um, God's kingdom here on earth being his church, the people of God, not a place, but the people, is where God has chosen to make his presence. The church is God's home. Our home, the church's home, is with God. Do we see that relationship? And I'll explain in, in a little more uh, depth using Joshua 15 through 19, because we're going through four, uh, five chapters this morning, I'm not going to spend much time in Joshua. We're going to be mostly in the New Testament. So if you want to go ahead and flip to Luke 4 and just like pause there for a second, put your finger there, your phone, whatever you're using as a bookmark, um, that's where we're going to start. But I would encourage you, if you haven't done so already, please read Joshua 15 through 19, because those five chapters, in light of the message, those five chapters give you a depth and a richness that you cannot get just from listening to me talk about it. God's word is higher than mine. So I want you guys to go home and read that and talk about it with each other. Now, when I talk about home, I talk about the church being God's home, our home being with God, um, that word home, or I say go home and read this, that word home probably stirs up something, or maybe it doesn't. If it doesn't, that is also saying something. But the word home, what do you feel? What do you think of when I say home? When I think of the word or, or hear the word home, it makes me think of my people, my wife, my kids, the, the place where we gather, the place where we do our life, where we eat, where we sleep, where we play together, where we may or may not water our yards in the summer. Home is where I'm present with my family. My family's present with me. But home is also a place that we welcome people into to be present with us and that we go out of to be present elsewhere. 
Home is a special place to me. Home does not have to be a specific place, though. We don't have to only associate our house, our apartment, the physical dwelling as our home. As weird as it may be, Brian often feels at home by himself 10 miles into a long run out on Arden Road at 6 a.m. in the morning. We're going to let him feel home there. Brady probably feels at home on the basketball court with his buddies. I know Brenda feels at home praying for and quilting for people she truly cares about. At home carries this connotation of presence because home is first about presence. Life happens at home. In Genesis 1, God created for us a home. What a kind father to create for us a home. A place not just to be in, not just to to exist in, but a place to live in, to be present in, to be present with him. And it was good. God, God made for us a home, and then he said, that home is good, and he put man there. And they said, but it's incomplete. It's not enough. It wasn't until God gave Adam Eve, until until the father gave his son more presence, until he said, okay, now this is very good. It is complete. In Genesis 3, Two chapters later, the flip of a page for many of our Bibles, humanity ran away from home. Um, Adam and Eve distrusted God. They disobeyed God. And before they got kicked out of the house, they left home. Making that connection is important. Because a lot of times we like to cast judgment on God for kicking Adam and Eve out of Eden. We like to cast judgment on God for for what we would call tough love or that's too harsh. But we have to see that Adam and Eve left home before they got kicked out of the house. And that's important. We can get there when we remember that home is first about presence. So they lied, they distrusted God, they disobeyed him, but God came calling for them. God said, Adam, where are you? But that question, where are you, is not a question of location. God's all-knowing, and he's all-present. He knew exactly where in the world Adam was. The question of Adam, where are you, is a question of presence. Because Adam and the rest of humanity ceased to be with God in Genesis 3. We left home before God kicked us out of the house. And whether we know it, whether we're willing to admit it, whether we're, we're present to this knowledge, God is the home that all of us long for. 
God is the home that we've been waiting for centuries and millennia to return to. And we're constantly looking for this home. We, we try to fill it, that desire and that longing. We try to satisfy it with so many other things. But God is the home that we were made to long for. All those other experiences, all those other things that we look to to find satisfaction in, they're only pointing to the fact that God is our home. They'll satisfy you for just a second because their job is to point you to God, but they can't sustain. And so Joshua 15 through 19 exists in Scripture. If you've already read it, then you're going to read a lot of names that are hard to read. It's going to feel like, okay, this is only five chapters. It feels like five whole books. It just keeps going. And there's little pockets of stories in there that are really good, but they'll make you wonder, what is this in here for? Joshua 15 through 19 exists in Scripture simply to remind us that God will fulfill his promise to us. Because immediately after Adam and Eve's sin in Genesis 3, God takes care of their sin. He covers them. He covers their shame. And he says, before I send you out, I need you to know I will come after you. I will bring you back. I promise. And he even tells them the story of how it's going to happen. Joshua 15 through 19 reminds us that God will fulfill his promise to bring us back home. The story that Joshua enters into is the story of Genesis 3. But it's also the story that we enter into. We're a part of the story. And so um, while we think about the book of Joshua, we think about these five chapters, we think about this, this bigger story that began in the beginning of Genesis, we have to be, pay close attention because this is our story. We have a place in here. And you will find yourself in Joshua 15 through 19. There's a word that God uses throughout the Old Testament. It's 282 times in the Old Testament alone. The word inheritance. The word inheritance is used almost 300 times in the Old Testament. 50 of those are in Joshua. 45 of those 50 references are in chapter 12 through chapter 21 the second half of Joshua, 45 of the references to inheritance. I say that just as a, a little simple Bible study tool. Whatever God repeats in Scripture, he wants his people to remember. So if you don't write anything else down in your notes except for that, whatever God repeats in Scripture, he wants his people to remember. And if you're paying attention to Scripture, what he's constantly repeating is, I'm coming for you. You can't do it. You can't get to me on your own, but I'm coming for you. And he does so here in Joshua by repeating the word inheritance 45 times. Now, Israel's inheritance is land, 
right? This is specifically what God has given to Israel to be their inheritance, this land of promise. Israel's inheritance is a home. They've spent 400 years, over 400 years, without a home. And even longer before that. But remember, home is first about presence. So what is this connection that God is making between saying, I have a home for my people and what we know to be true about home? Now, in these five chapters, we see that um, Joshua details the inheritance of the land. There's incredible detail from city to city to city to village to village to village. And it tells us all, actually, weirdly, sometimes it's super vague. It's like, and then it goes down to the south of Ephraim. But we're talking about the tribe of Ephraim. So what, how far down does that go? But there's other parts where we see this detail of from this city to this city to this city and no further. And then we have this detail of who gets the inheritance. Now, the definition of inheritance is wide. And there's no place in, in human communication. And so it, it, we cannot find even in scripture where one word is used that carries all of its connotations just in the one use. So scripture throughout Genesis through Deuteronomy is building this definition of inheritance with the story of God's people. Story after story, adding up to this building and this longing of what is our inheritance? What has God promised us from the very beginning? And then we see in the book of Joshua, this anticipation, this hope reaches a pinnacle where God says, okay, now I'm gonna cause you to enter into the land. Just, just trust me, follow me, I'll take you there. They're getting their inheritance. And so there's two primary connotations that carried through Genesis through Deuteronomy. Remember, that's called the Torah. Carried through the Torah into Joshua. Two primary. There's lots. There's lots of, of background to this word inheritance. That's why it's important for us to read our, our Bibles. But the two primary ones that we have time to talk about today is first, the inheritance of God's people is the land of inheritance. It's this specific place. And that's important. God gives us a place to live in. We're not like God. We can't be everywhere, regardless of what social media tricks your brain into thinking. You can't be everywhere. You're given a place. You're human. You have limits. And the place that God gives you is unique and it's very particular, and it's very designed. So God gives his people a land of inheritance. And because the land is given as part of the inheritance, that land carries more dignity and meaning and value to the life of the people than just the dirt under their feet. And so you see this longing and they talk about the land of inheritance and then we see throughout scripture that in the future, as we read ahead in scripture, Israel leaves home. They're not with God anymore and so he kicks them out of the house. 
He'll send them into exile. Place is important. Where you are is important. So that's the first connotation of inheritance. The second connotation of inheritance is the kingdom of God. So the first, the land of inheritance, the land of God's people. And the second is the kingdom of God. So we have a land and we have a kingdom. And the reason that the kingdom is the, sec- the second um, um, definition or this background information we're coming into Joshua with is because the kingdom of God, repeated through Scripture, is precisely where God has chosen to reign and to put his people. What, is it, what does a kingdom need in order to function? A king, a present king, a king who is in the kingdom, a king who is active in the kingdom, who has boundaries, not just physical boundaries, but also social and legal boundaries. The whole book of Leviticus is giving shape and function to this promised kingdom that when that book was written, they had not had yet. So we get the land and we get this kingdom. The the land being more than just the dirt and the trees and the animals. The land possesses this kingdom. And the kingdom is more than the cities. It's more than the laws. It's more than the social constructs. The kingdom is the presence of the king with his people and the presence of the people with their king. And so this overlap between the land of inheritance, what God has always promised to do in his people, to bring them home, to bring them back into presence with himself. This promise of inheritance overlaps with the presence that we know to be true about home. Now, while scripture is constantly reminding us of God's promise, and we see this Uh, In Joshua, these five chapters, it's reminding us that God promised his people as an inheritance. It's also reminding us that we need God to fulfill his promises. We can't fulfill God's promises. We need God to fulfill his promises. We need the king to bring the kingdom, right? And just to reference how I began This is why we move at the pace we move. In uh, John 14 and 15, Jesus is talking to his terrified disciples immediately before they um, are sent out, immediately before he dies. And Jesus says, hey, I'm not gonna be with you forever. And they're like, hold on, but you're the Messiah. And he's like, but I'm not. And they just lose it. But Jesus says, Everything that I've done, I've shown you the Father. Everything that I've done, I've done because the Father has told me. Everything I've said, I've said because the Father has told me. And then he sends them out with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Father, to do the very same thing. And so as Brian and I lead this church, we, if, we will fail as pastors if we lead on our own strategies if we lead on our own ideas, if we lead on our own wills. 
will fail. But we will endure if we continue to do what the Father tells us to do and say what the Father tells us to say. Our presence with God is what you need most in any church. Whether it's Redeemer or it's somewhere else, the leadership of the church must first be present with God before they do anything else. That's, that's why we move at the pace we move. Now, you will see in the next book after Joshua, the book of Judges, I encourage you to read it, but it's pretty gruesome. It's hard to read. The reason that it's gruesome and that it's hard to read is because from the beginning, this is a group of people who set out to fulfill their own wills and desires, to accomplish God's promises on their own. They're desiring an earthly king and an earthly kingdom, not a heavenly king with a divine, a heavenly kingdom with a divine king. And so they actually ask God, hey God, the judges aren't working out. Can you give us a king like everybody else? All of our friends have kings. Can you give us a king? Some of you know exactly what that sounds like. All my friends have phones. All my friends have Nikes. That's like, it, it can't be more than that. Israel literally says, can we have a king just like all the other nations? We gotta keep up. And God says, sure. I, I know that's what you want. You're gonna have to see it the hard way that that's not what you need. So he gives them a king in the king's fail. Even David fails. David is, is propped up as like, if there's anyone who would point us to the Messiah more, it's this guy. And he's so human and, and so flawed, he's not the Messiah. He dies, and he doesn't come back to life. Not in this world. And so hundreds and hundreds of years go by. God's people are poor. They're oppressed. Remember, we're continuing this story from Genesis 3. They've been kicked out of the house, and God takes them into their home, their new home, and it's not going well. Hundreds of years go by. God's people are poor. They're oppressed by God's enemies, they're taken captive by um, the surrounding nations, but bigger than that, they're taken captive by sin and death. They're blind. That's the worst part of it, that they're blind to their own disobedience. And so Israel, over the centuries, is just wondering in exile, will we ever go home? Will we ever get God back? But this is also where we enter the story. Because we, if we pay attention enough to this world, if we're present here enough, then we enter into this longing, this deep, just this place won't satisfy me. And it's more than that. It's more than not being satisfied. This place is wicked. People here are wicked. We mourn sin 
and we see that there's nothing ultimately that we can do about it. And we just long and we wonder, and when do we get to go home? Will we ever really get God without being held back by our flesh? And if we're really honest, and I mean really honest, then we'll also be willing to admit that we actually long to be with one another. We long to have peaceful, harmonious relationships of vulnerability and trust. Will we ever go home? Why is Joshua 15 through 19 in scripture? What does it remind us? That God will fulfill his promises. So in Luke 14, the weary world rejoices to hear the words of the Messiah the words of Isaiah the prophet quoted by Jesus, the Son of God. Luke 4.18, Jesus says this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. In Matthew 11, Jesus calls out and he says, come to me all who are weary, all who are needy, all who are poor and oppressed and blind, come to me. Remember, the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are you when you're persecuted, when you suffer. Why are you blessed? Because the spirit of the Lord was upon Jesus. He's anointed his son to proclaim Good news to those of us who are poor. To set free those of us who are captive. To recover the sight of those of us who are blind to our own sin and the sin of the world. And to to proclaim freedom to those who are oppressed by sin, death, and Satan. He sent his son the fulfillment of the Genesis 3 promise to do something about our sin. God will fulfill his promises. Mark's gospel says it this way. The kingdom of God is at hand. This is the first thing Jesus says in Mark's gospel. The kingdom of God. Remember what we talked about with the kingdom. It's the place and the presence of God. The kingdom of God is at hand. What do we do? Repent. Turn from your sin Turn from your way of doing things. Turn from your life and believe that good news has come. It's a way to say that home is here. God is 
is coming back for us. This longing we have will be fulfilled because the presence of God is with man. And in these few chapters of Joshua, this is where, this is where I want you to pay close attention and find yourself. Because if you've read those five chapters of Joshua, even if you haven't, we kind of know a little bit about the story of God's people. It's so broken. That's all you need to know. Who in those five chapters gets an inheritance? Well, we see sons and daughters. Two two stories of women receiving an inheritance that when, when the inheritance was laid out in the Torah, it was only supposed to be given to the sons. But God said, that's okay. Like, we, we live in a world um, where, where women are allowed to receive the same inheritance. Sons and daughters. We see the righteous and the unrighteous. There's, a, there's stories of the, of the tribes where um, you would be embarrassed reading, like, this is my family? Oh, gosh. Just awful stories. Righteous and unrighteous receive the inheritance. We see the famous and the obscure. So the people who live extraordinary lives and the people who we read their names in scriptures and we're like, that name has never come up and it will never show up again. And when I read a commentary, it says, we have no idea. That obscure. Does your life feel that obscure most days? Sons and daughters, righteous and unrighteous, famous and obscure. We see even those who are born into the family, not adopted, but children by blood. We also see those who are adopted into the family. Last week, we talked about Caleb. Caleb was born into a lineage of the enemies of God, but he was adopted into the tribe of Judah. At least one of those makes you feel like, does that, does that include me? Do I have an inheritance? I'm somewhere in that list. Now, all of a sudden, John 3.16, the most famous scripture ever, right? Let me turn there. There's something about my childhood that taught me to memorize John 3.16 in the KJV. Some of you might be the same, but I'm going to read it in the ESV. One is not better than the other. For God so loved, who? The world. Sons and daughters, righteous and unrighteous, famous and obscure, adopted and born into the family. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, yeah, whosoever isn't a real word in my brain, whoever, 
whoever. God gave the world his son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Whoever. Mark 11, come to me. All. No partiality. There's no limitations. If you find yourself in the list of sons and daughters, righteous and unrighteous, born into the family or adopted, famous or obscure, then you find yourself in a privileged place because you find yourself worthy because of Jesus to receive an inheritance. And what is this inheritance? Presence with God. It's not what the world's gonna tell you it is. Like people say, hey, you can't take it with you, but they don't live that way. We say things that don't actually change the way we live. They'll say we can't take it with you and then they'll sell you insurance for the things you can't take with you. Now, insurance salesman, Chris, is not here. Insurance is important. But the point is, we're not getting land. We're not getting stuff. We're not even, the inheritance isn't even about the peace and the joy and the abundance. That's not it. It's about the presence of God. And so when we read through these five chapters in Joshua, and we see these people eager. They're not, they're not just waiting for Joshua and Eleazar to come and give them their inheritance. They're coming to him. They're saying, we're ready to go home. We're ready to live our lives. And some of them still have work to do. Some of them still have people to drive out. And they do it in broken ways. They make them slaves. That's not part of God's law. They oppress the, the foreign nations that live among them. That is not what Leviticus is about. That's not how we live in the kingdom. Now, it's the part of the sermon where we start talking about application. And I, wanna, I just want to point this out because I want to make it very obvious. If you've been around, and, and sometimes we, give, we help you, we give you things to do most of the time, you might leave frustrated or like, Man, just tell me what to do. There's a reason for that. There's a reason that we don't do that. We like to think of application more as incarnation. And so most of the time when we give an application, we're either gonna first teach you how to pray or we're gonna teach you how to see the world a little different. Because to be incarnated, we know this, incarn this term because of Jesus, right? Jesus came from heaven to us. Now, that's the incarnation because someone outside of us came to be with us. He came to be with us so that we would be in the world that we're in. He incarnated to us so that we would incarnate to the world. But it's not our presence that we're bringing into the world. Because when we take up our inheritance, when we take up this presence with God, which is the only way to live, when we take up this presence with God and we're in the world, we're in. 
we're taking God's presence. God has chosen to make himself present to the world through his people. So the, the, the application, or I'll use the word, the incarnation here, this, I want you to not think about, okay, what do I do now? But maybe ask the question, how do I be? How does this change the way I exist in my own life, in the circles that I run in? How does this change the way I exist in my church, amongst the people who don't know God, or maybe who think they know God and they've said, no, thank you. How does this, how does Joshua 15 through 19 enter into my life and how do I take it into my world? The place, remember kingdom has a place because that's where we are. Um, 2 Corinthians, let's look at 2 Corinthians 5, 19 through 20. See, I'm not getting this um, just from Joshua 15 through 19. I'm not getting this just from 2 Corinthians 5 either. This is throughout scripture. This is repeated. When God makes the promise to Abraham, I'm gonna give you a land to dwell in and I'm gonna give you an exceedingly great nation to live there. God also gives them the why. I'm gonna bless you so that you would bless the world. I will incarnate to you so that my presence would be incarnated to the world through you. And that, that promise is not fully fulfilled until Jesus comes and gives us the church. We see it uh, in Matthew 28 in the Great Commission. We see it in Acts, 21, in Acts 1, another version of the Great Commission. We see it in Jesus's instructions to his disciples in John 14 and 15. We, we see it throughout the Old and the New Testament. This, I'm giving you myself so that I can be in the world with you and among you. We'll focus on 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 5, 19 through 20. In Christ, God was reconciling who? The world, again. God was reconciling the world to himself. Keep losing my spot. Not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us, the people of God, the message of reconciliation. So God was reconciling the world and then he gave to those who were reconciled this message of reconciliation. Therefore, because of this, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. God chose to send his son to reconcile the world so that we would then carry this message of reconciliation. And how can we do that without being reconciled ourselves? How can we carry this important message to the world unless we ourselves are present with God? We hear a lot about how we gotta be better at mission. We gotta be better evangelists in our world. We've got to preach the gospel. We've got to live the gospel. None of that comes first in your life. 
That cannot happen unless you are present with God. And I can give you all the things to do. I can say, man, this is how you can pray, and we do, and we will. And this is how we read our scripture. We'll do that too. But you will take those things and turn them into a task list and refuse to be present with God until your mind changes, until something in your soul changes, and all of a sudden you experience, wait a second, God is present with me? As messed up as I am? As many times have I, I've had the chance to be present with him, and I just haven't. I've chosen Netflix. I've chosen to be out doing other things. I've chosen my phone. This is why this, this idea of incarnation rather than application is so important, because I cannot change the way you think. I have to depend on the Holy Spirit for that. So I can give you all the things to do. It's only, gonna, it's only gonna make you feel like, ah, I can't slow down. I can't be present with God because I have all of these things that my pastor keeps telling me to do to be a good Christian. And so just don't, don't go there yet. Activity and place is important. The way we live the way that we evangelize to our people is important, but you cannot do that before you know how to be with God. Now, while we take communion, you guys heard your cue. Band, you can come up. While we take communion, I want you to just hold the elements. If you're, a, if you're a believer, if you've said yes to the incarnation that Jesus came, he lived the perfect life, he died an innocent death, he lived the perfect life we couldn't, and he died an innocent death, we, we don't have the guts to die. He did that to take our place. He came to us to take our place. And then his resurrection made that permanent. It sealed it and said, this is good forever. So we take those elements and we remember because the Holy Spirit through Paul tells us, do this until he comes back because we're holding a promise in our hands that God has promised to fulfill on his own. So take the elements and just reflect on how the incarnation brought our inheritance. Jesus coming to us made it possible for us to be with God. And that we can't leave these walls ready to be in our world until we're with God. You can't go through your day until you're with God. So it's not just Sundays, it's Monday through Saturday too. Heavenly Father has an inheritance for you. And he's called you to, to tell the world he's handing it out. And if you've not received this inheritance, if you've not trusted in Jesus, man, would, why? Now you have the opportunity. And if you, if you make that choice this morning, please come talk to Brian or I. Um, we wanna help you understand that. We wanna, we wanna pray with you. We wanna lead you. And we wanna baptize you. Holy Father, 
We give you our lives because you gave us your life. And we're so incomplete and so unaware of even the depths of this truth and the goodness that it carries. And so would you forgive us for our failures and would you help us to just know and to remember that even though we fail, even though we forget, even though we often choose to not be present with anyone or with anything or even ourselves, with you, would you forgive us of that and would you give us the strength and give us the remembrance each day that you are where our life is found. Would you help us to be present with you?